growing green to generate more green. Welcome to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Each week we plant the conversational seeds about cultivation and the changing climate of cannabis culture. We'll peel back the layers of benefits of the world's most versatile plant, from food to fuel, from remedy to resource. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents The Grow Show with your host, multi-award winning grow master and respected cannabis consultant, Kyle Cushman. Hello and welcome to everyone except Donald Trump supporters, because that's how I really feel. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com, and I am your host, Kyle Cushman. I am very excited to welcome Mark Emery to The Grow Show this week. Mark is a prolific activist, writer, and political lightning rod. He's also a longtime resident of Vancouver, B.C. As the owner and operator of Cannabis Culture Magazine, Pot TV, and founder of the BC Marijuana Party, he's well-known both locally and worldwide for his involvement in the cannabis scene. Together with his influential wife, Jody Emery, they have been on the forefront of the cannabis movement for many years. Mark was also a world-renowned marijuana seed retailer and financial supporter of the marijuana legalization movement until the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration and Canadian law enforcement arrested him in Canada and shut down Mark Emery Direct Seeds. This led to Mark, who is a Canadian citizen, being extradited and incarcerated in the United States for over four years before finally being deported back to his home country. We're here today to talk about the need for global criminal justice reform because no one should ever spend a single day behind bars for this plant, ever. Like so many of our fellow Canada brothers and sisters, instead of hiding away after his ordeal, he's returned to the cause louder and stronger than ever, diving right back into his life and the cause we're all fighting for, the outright legalization and social normalization of cannabis. Thanks for visiting The Grow Show today, Mark. Nice to be on. It's been a long road. We've both been kind of on the same side. And sometimes it was weird. It kind of felt like we were on opposite sides because of my association with high times and your association with cannabis culture. That brings me well, to... Well, I regard that as a, a friendly rivalry, though. <laughs> that's, that, that's good. That's good. Speaking of High Times Magazine, I want to start this show off with a very quick moment of silence as a very good hero of mine who died of cancer two days ago, Michael Kennedy, who led High Times Magazine for over four tumultuous decades. He was a revolutionary man who came and served at a time when we all needed him. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I was going to say, you know, I once wrote about Tom Forsad and the history of High Times for Cannabis Culture, and it was four decades of tumultuous history. It's easy to say now what uh, a marijuana magazine or marijuana media should or could be like, but for about 20 years, High Times was the only thing out there. Our movement rose and fell according to how High Times was received in the marketplace. So mm-hmm. those were some very pivotal years, too. And Tom Prasad's quite the character to have started a magazine like High Times. Even Michael Kennedy's history is fascinating in regards to High Times. And one day there'll be a really good comprehensive history of High Times and all the stuff that went on there, because it's a fascinating story. Absolutely. I appreciate that you, you have those sentiments for the magazine, as, of course, I would not be here speaking to you if it wasn't for my associations with High Times Magazine. And I'm sure that if there ever is a chronicle of cannabis journalism and the cause for legalization over those decades, I'm very sure that you and cannabis culture will also be included. Well, I'm sure of that, too. But, you know, it's, I don't even envy High Times nowadays. We closed the published 
a printed edition of Cannabis Culture just prior to me going to U.S. prison in 2009, and that gave me plenty of time to refund everybody's subscriptions and all any money we may have owed and, and close it down honorably. But uh, these days, I'm pretty convinced every magazine out there is facing shrinking readership, shrinking distribution. And there seems to be a lot of ads in all the many magazines out there, but I know for a fact from the marketplace selling books and magazines in our store locations that people just don't read magazines anymore. And I've seen a constant diminishing each year of the number of magazines of each title that sell out there. So, yeah. you know, it's, an, it's, it's unfortunate that our own movement has changed towards electronic transmission of information, as has every other media. And I think it's going to really be telling in the next few years about how few magazines survive. I expect eventually that Skunk and High Times and all the rest will be online only, which is a tough challenge financially. It is. You know, and me never really being much of a magazine reader myself, I'm kind of on the side where everything is going. But, you know, we recently had Jeff Mazansky on the show, a man who spent over 21 years in a maximum security federal prison for pot. And Jeff's story, like yours and too many others, is outrageous and sad. Fortunately, Jeff is now a free man, like yourself, and is very active in pushing for the legalization of cannabis. What's life like for you now that you're a free man? Well, fortunately, my experience in prison was better and different than most. I spent four and a half years in the U.S. Federal Bureau prison system, six different prisons. I saw every kind of prison from the maximum security detention center you start out at for six months. And I was in big warehouses where, as far as the eye could see, there were people in double bunks waiting to get shipped to a prison where you were designated. And this is just a holdover. I was, flew Con Air several times and was in the hub in Oklahoma where all the prisoners go in and out in this kind of huge prison industrial complex kind of transportation that goes on day in and day out. I feel like I should thank you for our service, you know, kind of like we do the service members, you know, <laughs> Except, well, uh, as I'm going to say, it wasn't as bad for me because once I got settled in in any place, particularly, the inmates were very nice to me, and I was able to write a lot of quality blogging material. I learned to play bass guitar and was in a really wonderful rock and roll band. I practiced two or three hours a day with these incredible musicians of outstanding ability and a real generous nature on their behalf to help me and make me become a musician. And, and I read a book every 10 days. I had 25 magazine subscriptions. I did a New York Times Sunday crossword every two days. I mean, so, I had a lot of good quality thinking time. And if you're a person like me who can use that time, then it's an opportunity, actually. So I tried to make it as good an opportunity for myself over that four years. Believe me, getting out into the real world is a much larger struggle than coping in prison, I find, because out here, in this five years I was gone, we have a pile of new competitors, we have a new landscape where money is going to different people. As I said, my magazine isn't around anymore because those aren't viable. We have lots of competition in online retail, in retail, in so let, let, let me everything bring I do. To all legalities aside, was marijuana available in prison? Well, it was, but I stayed well away from it because anybody who's willing to do drugs in prison is a person that doesn't have anything to lose. In other words, they don't get visits. They don't sure. spend money in the commissary. They're not using the email, which is $3 sure. an hour. They're not using phone calls. In other words, they don't care because if you get caught, with, let's say, four grams, because this is someone I, I used to do legal work for lots of inmates, and I appealed this guy's sentencing, and he had caught with four grams of marijuana. 
He was charged federally because it's in a federal facility. He got 10 additional months of prison time. He was in solitary for six months. He lost two months of good time. He lost visits for a year. He lost use of email for six months after he gets out of solitary. And he loses the phone for three months after he gets out of solitary. So in in other words, about a year's worth of really terrible punishment, plus an additional 10 months of federal time because of that. So, I mean, the punishment for being caught with marijuana or failing a urine test was so burdensome that I ran well away from anybody who ever offered me any kind of thing at all because I figured they were probably being monitored or they were probably, like, you know, foolish enough to get caught. How long did you actually spend time behind prison? Exactly 54 months. I had an extra two months after my sentence ended because Canadians have to go to a deportation center. Wow. And can you tell us what part your wife Jody played in advocating for your release? Well, she did some incredible things. I'm not even sure you could do them anymore. One of the things she did, as soon as I was ordered extradited, Jody and other activists took over the prime minister's office in his hometown, his constituency office, for the entire day and occupied it and put free mark banners around it and stuff. And, of course, the police were called, and there was a big standoff that lasted several hours. And I'm particularly proud of her for doing that because no one has ever occupied the prime minister's office. And these days, I'm not sure they wouldn't shoot first and ask questions later anyway. So that was particular. And that's just to start it. She visited me. That's uh, awesome. I I remember reading about that. That's That's what I actually wanted you to bring up. I should have asked you earlier, what charges were you actually convicted of that sent you to prison? What made you a so-called criminal in the eyes of our federal bureau? Well, what I did is I sold three million seeds, cannabis seeds, to Americans from November 1994 to July you know, 2005 when we were busted by DEA and Canadian police. Yeah, let me be the largest producer of marijuana ever brought before the U.S. criminal justice system. So oh, that worried me because at first they wanted 28 to 40 years and over the years as we negotiated and I refused to let myself be extradited it came down to 10 years and then finally five years and probation for all my co-accused so that was too good a deal to resist so on that level I accepted the five years and that's how I ended up in the United States system for 54 months so I got my good time I didn't lose any of my good time but I spent an extra two months at a deportation center because I'm Canadian you know, on one hand, I felt blessed. A lot of people said I was blessed. You only get five years for being responsible for three million plants. You know, like there's a Canadian recently that smuggled somewhere between five and ten tons from Canada to New York State and just got life imprisonment in the United States. So, you know, these things well, still happen. I'm really glad that you're out. I don't think anybody should spend any time in prison. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about legalization and what's going on in both Canada and the U.S. But right now, we got to show our sponsors some appreciation. So let's take a quick smoke break, light your fire, consume at your leisure, and we'll be right back with more from Mark Emery. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Dr. Dabber. 
hurry. Its temperature is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. I am your host, Kyle Cushman, and we are talking with cannabis legend Mark Emery. What are you currently working on, and what's the scene in Vancouver right now? Have you shifted your activism to a more local scale, or, or are you still advocating worldwide? Well, we still advocate worldwide because our media is hooked in and I speak to activists all over the world. But in Vancouver, my personal challenges are after I got busted in 2005, I fell behind on my tax payments. And so in the current time, the government garnishes any money I may put in a bank account or get by wages and things like that. So it's been very challenging for me to even earn money without the government taking all of it. Notwithstanding that, we have two stores now and two lounges. And the lounges are particularly interesting because we serve dabs to people for $5 Canadian and bong rips to people for $3. And we sell pre-rolled joints for $5. And this is going on in our lounge. And it's recreational. And we don't require any medical clearance or anything like that. And we're the only people doing that in the city of Vancouver. Everybody else has a medical explanation for what they're doing. We have over 100 dispensaries currently in Vancouver selling pot. But on a medical basis, we're the only real businesses set up to handle the general public. And so that's considered a bit cutting edge in the city here. And the inspiration for that is spreading to other cities. One just opened up in Windsor, Ontario this week. And my friends, Chris and Aaron Goodwin, were just raided at their new place, Goodweeds in Toronto. So there's still a lot of active civil disobedience, people being arrested all the time here in Canada deliberately for opening lounges or dispensaries. And so we've got quite the nifty civil war going on here in Canada And that there's a lot of people willing to go to jail, which I kind of like, because those kind of people are going to make change happen. There's been a recent push for a moratorium on cannabis-related arrests until the Canadian government... <laughs> can get a handle on what cannabis legislation should actually look like. What actions are activists taking locally? Do you think it could realistically happen? Well, I think they're just going to deschedule it. They're going to take it right out of the schedule entirely and let the provinces regulate it, much like the United States would do so if it was removed from the schedule there. The individual states would still have a right to regulate it as they saw fit, and that's what's going to happen here, I'm pretty sure. Once that happens, though, 
By the time the federal government does that, there'll be at least a thousand dispensaries already operating in Canada. There's at least 250 to 300 now, and I think one or two open up every day. So if the government, even by the end of the year, comes up with their program, there's already going to be a thousand stores in Canada selling marijuana for months or years previously, and a lot of people aren't going to want to give up on that. So I think the government is going to let us determine the agenda by default because there's new stores opening up every day. And like I say, virtually every one of these owners is willing to go to jail and reopen when they can go to jail. So you've got a lot of civil disobedience built up. It's hard to put the thing back in the can, you know. That's what I tell people, especially about California. As you know, we're facing a major election here in the United States this year, and we seem to have an amazing candidate in Bernie Sanders. And us cannabis lovers are definitely feeling the burn. In fact, Sanders, who is currently a U.S. senator, recently introduced the Ending Federal Marijuana Prohibition Act, the first Senate bill to propose the legalization of recreational pot. The proposed legislation would remove barriers for states who want to legalize both recreational and medical marijuana without interference from the federal government. Do you think a Trudeau-Sanders era may lead to legalization for the whole of North America but and maybe even globally? I would love to see Bernie Sanders do extremely well and continue to push that issue. Nobody's been more forthright about it than he has, though I do like Rand Paul and the Republicans, and to me the ideal race would be Bernie Sanders versus Rand Paul, because both of those people are interested in our civil liberties, our the surveillance state, and the war on drugs. And every other Republican and Democrat is virtually not on our side in that regard. Hillary Clinton apparently has recently come around in the last day or two to saying we need to deschedule marijuana. I personally believe it's coming no matter who gets elected. It's almost the perfect storm. It's a financial crisis. It's a civil crisis. It's a let's end the failure drug war crisis. Mm-hmm. So it really, doesn't, it really doesn't matter who gets in. I think it's kind of a snowball going downhill. There's only a handful of really strict people who are really worth willing to fight hard against it any longer. Everyone pretty much is convinced that the drug war is a failure. And I think that legalizing marijuana is the first step in the ending of the drug war. So- it is, and I, but I, I don't know if Trump, and I think Trump will be the Republican candidate. Um, yeah, I do too. I, I called not- that a while ago. I, I called the Sanders Trump. That's what I'm calling. Uh, I'm pretty sure Hillary Clinton's going to get the Democratic nomination, but I would enjoy it more if Sanders got it. But, so uh, and then if That's Michael Bloomberg enters the race, too, that'll be fascinating if you have those three competing. You know, I think I'm going to DVR these final debates of when, they, when we finally pick our candidates, and I'm going to save them for all posterity. It'll be fun to look back on 10, 20 years from now. I think it's going to be hilarious. Let me ask you, what type of legalization are you fighting for? What kinds of regulations do you feel should be in place, if any? Well, whatever we can get. I mean... Canada is different from the United States. In the United States, you've got states legalizing within the context of a larger federal prohibition. But now that the federal government in Canada said they're going to legalize marijuana, there is no more prohibition. Once the Fed says it's legal, we don't have state or local laws that prohibit marijuana or in any way criminalize it. We don't have that dual criminalization powers that the United States seems to have between the federal government and the states and even the, and the municipalities. So we're going to have a completely legal environment at all levels. That's going to be different than the United States has. So hopefully it just is descheduling it, and there are no restrictions on who can grow it, who can sell it, who can buy it, except, you know, that they're over 18. That's what we're fighting for. The true legalization that generally is not possible in the United States is sort of possible here. 
But you know what? Nothing happens as quickly as you'd like it to, and so everything takes much longer. Like, we ended alcohol prohibition in Canada in the 1920s and 30s, but only in the last 10 years have you been able to buy alcohol or beer or wine at grocery stores or in private liquor stores. I mean, it took them 60, 70 years to finally get a workable legalization scheme for alcohol because of so much opposition in the community to expanding people's access to, to alcohol. It won't take as long with pot, but it's going to be, you know, we're not going to get everything we want in that first bit of legislation, that's for sure. And they're know- probably going to hand it off to monopolies like the liquor industry to handle, like they do in Washington State. Yeah, unfortunately, the monetary thing is in ever encroaching. I never pictured you Canadians as being so puritanical. But <laughs> in what? Well, here's the thing, too. The fact that money is involved in cannabis has distorted everything. Because my belief is three years after a whole country legalized like Canada, marijuana should be a dollar a gram retail. And it can be produced at $20,000 a metric ton by our farmers who have millions of outdoor hectares to cultivate on. And they can make it uh, profitable at $20,000 a metric ton, which is two cents a gram. So even if it costs two cents a gram and they sell it for a dollar a gram, it's a huge amount of profit. But at the same time, the price as we know, it should come down radically in a legal environment because all this risk pay will be over. This is the whole crux of the situation for me is that we're spending so much time, energy, and resources on writing laws and debating over how we we can legalize so that people can make millions of dollars while we're not spending an equal amount of time figuring out how we're going to legalize it for the average person who has actually brought this community to where it is right now. I'm talking about the personal grower, the personal grower who grows for his friends and his family, himself. If we leave this person as a criminal, really we've accomplished nothing in my eyes. We are running out of time in this segment. I want to thank you for your contribution to the cannabis community and the work that you've done over the years. And I want you to tell the listeners out there how they can best reach you if they'd like more information. Well, I'm a very accessible person, so you can come and visit me personally any given day, uh, Monday to Saturday at Cannabis Culture in downtown Vancouver or our West End location on Davie Street. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram very readily. Just put in Mark Scott Emery on Instagram, Mark Emery. I have a fan page and a personal page on Facebook, and I answer all messages and emails sent to me, and anybody who ever wants to get in touch with me won't have any problems. So thank you, Kyle, for putting me on your show, and I loved all your work in the years leading up to today, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to be on with you. Oh, thanks, Mark. Thanks very much. And please say hello to your wife, Jody, for me. I hope we get to meet in person someday. And it's been great having you on. Unfortunately, we are out of time for this segment. Got to show the sponsors a little more love, but we'll be right back with Ask Kyle. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Boober Vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Boober Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Boober way. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? I'm David Ogletree, president of WME Training. Did you know that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average? At WME Training, we can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. 
Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the marketing experts at WMETraining.com. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. And now it's time for our final segment of the show we call Ask Kyle. So we have a few questions from our followers this week, and let's get started. From Mark M. via Facebook. He says, I met you briefly and we chatted a little during the 2015 Jamaican Cannabis Cup. We spoke a little about depreciating light cycles, which is what I run. It's a light cycle to maximize yield while saving power and equipment. I remember this discussion. I was very, very intrigued. He says, with legalization happening here in Canada and abroad, the amount of cultivators both commercial and at home is going to exponentially increase. Will master cultivators such as yourself, why thank you, Mark, be looking to use different methods to save power and equipment? Absolutely. Anything you can do to lower, lessen your carbon footprint is important. But let me say, I think the most important thing is long-term thinking. Let's get scientists engaged in full force developing of clean energy. You know, let's redouble our efforts like we did when we were in a race to get to the moon. I think that we can make clean energy a reality and not have to focus on whether people are using it to grow marijuana or whether they're using it to cool their refrigerators. But yes, absolutely, Mark, I definitely plan on looking into depreciation methods with changing the light spectrum. I can't recall exactly what you were saying, but it has something to do with four hours on and 15 minutes off. It was very, very intriguing. I'm going to have to look into that. Thanks for the question. From Green Grons 420 via Twitter, do you have recommendations for a best soil to use for an indoor grow? Which ones are veganic? Well, veganic is going to be any soil in which there's no animal product. So basically, you just don't want any guanos. You don't want any poop, no slaughterhouse, bone meal, blood meal, things like that. Fish meal is also not tolerated in veganic. So just look for anything without any animals listed in the ingredients list. They can be either cocoa, sphagnum, or a mixture of both. But just check the label and make sure that there's no animal byproducts in there. From Leanna K via email, I'm growing in a small 6x8 tent, plenty of ventilation, fans, good balanced water aerated. I'm using an LED set on blue spectrum to grow 18 and 6. That's the light photo period. I'm thinking of switching to metal halide daylight and my ballast. My question is, will this type of light switch have much of an effect on stressing out my plants, or is there a safe way to switch out to using my metal halide? I'm concerned about possibly hermied plants if I mess with the light type. That's a good question, Liana. Well, a 600 light is not super, super big difference from the LED. If you're switching out to a thousand, I would definitely put the light at the very, very top of the canopy and probably leave the doors open, let a little bit of that light escape rather than get the reflecting. So don't put them right into a high yield 
lighting situation. And the other main thing is that you're probably going to notice that they're going to feed a little bit more with the daylight HIDs than the LEDs specifically during your veg. So you might want to up your food dosage a little bit. I don't know that you need to worry about Hermes as long as you keep them on the same light schedule. Next question from Dougie via email. I've been battling temperature problems. I can't really get my room below 90 degrees. I've had consistent yellowing on lower branches, and I've raised the light as high as I can get it. I've been very good about watering and nutrient feeds. I have read yellowing undergrowth is pretty natural, and from what I've read, my plant is healthy. I haven't topped my plant, and I am entering flowering period. Should I be concerned? Well, I'm not really sure about what you're concerned about. Is it the topping or the yellowing? Neither is really good. As long as your plants are healthy and you get a little bit of yellowing underneath, just remove the yellowing leaves. And if you find that that yellowing continues to spread up the plant, it probably means that you're just not feeding enough. So try upping the food dosage a little bit. And you can top your plants up into the point at which you flower or even a little bit after. So if you're trying to minimize your vertical height, I'd top your plant right now, Dougie. From Carlos via email, do you ever get scarred fly fungus gnat? If so, how do you treat? Fungus gnats are easy to treat, Carlos. It's a beneficial called Bacillus israelensis, and it comes in a product called Natrol or Mosquito Duncums. So look for those at your local hydroponics store. From BongLove420420 via Twitter, what is the biggest yield you've gotten from one plant? Well, BongLove, that would depend whether you're talking about an indoor plant or an outdoor plant. As you know, I haven't done very much outdoor growing, but I have seen four and five pound plants outdoor be a regular a regular occurrence. Indoors, I'd have to say a pound and a quarter is the largest plant I've ever grown. That was a sage plant from TH Seeds, and it was about six feet tall, and it was in, believe it or not, just a 15-gallon bucket. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I want to thank our guests and producers for making this show possible. Off Dimension, if you want to submit your own questions for Ask Kyle, go to our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash The Grow Show. You can tweet questions to at Canada Radio using hashtag The Grow Show. Or you can send an email to diane at kylecushman.com. That's D-I-A-N-E. Please make sure to check out my website, kylecushman.com, where you can find out where to follow me on social media, upcoming events, and subscribe to my newsletter. Find new episodes of The Grow Show every Wednesday by going to cannabisradio.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Once again, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Kyle Cushman, and as always, stay lifted. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. 